Jim Flaherty was first elected to the House of Commons in 2006, bringing a wealth of provincial experience as Ontario's Minister of Enterprise, Opportunity and Innovation, Deputy Premier, Minister of Finance, Attorney General, Minister Responsible for Native Affairs, Minister of Labor and Solicitor General, and Minister of Correctional Services at various times. And he still found time to be father to three triplet sons. <laughs> Quite an accomplishment. And you can be sure that there is an ongoing debate around provincial versus federal responsibilities in the Flaherty Elliott household, as his wife, Christine Elliott, represents Whitby Oshawa in the Ontario legislature. Well, we may have the soundest banking system in the world, as judged by that August body, the World Economic Forum, we are realizing that in a flat world, everything connects. Henry Kissinger was known to say, there cannot be a crisis today, my schedule is already full. I know that the minister's schedule is indeed very full, and we appreciate his speaking with us today. Please join me in welcoming the Honorable James Flaherty. Thank you for the, uh, the kind introduction. I, every time I hear that list of ministries in, uh, in Ontario, I, I think I better change that CV because it sounds like I couldn't hold a job when I was in the government of, on, the government of Ontario. I, um, I am pleased that I'm joined um, here today by um, two uh, newly elected colleagues in the House of Commons. As I can tell you, as a Conservative member from the GTA, it's been a bit lonely the last two and a half years um, in Ottawa, and I'm very pleased that uh, Lois Brown MP and Lisa Raitt MP are both here this afternoon. Thank you. And uh, uh, for the sake of familial goodwill, my wife, Christine Elliott, MPP, is also here um, today, and I, nice to see her. Now listen, as you know, these are, these are serious times and, um, and there are uh, serious issues to be addressed. I, my speech today is a bit longer um, than normal. I hope you'll uh, understand the, uh, the need um, to, uh, to uh, go through a number of issues today and, and I hope you'll, you'll suffer through that um, with me. I'm, um, I'm mindful of a story that um, an Irish friend told me about an Irish politician who was uh, known to be long-winded and he was giving a speech in a, in a room like this and was going on and on and on and people were going out through that door and then that door and the side door and moving around till finally there was only one fellow left sitting in front of him and he stopped his speech and he said, you know, I just want to thank you, sir, for, for your courtesy in hearing me out here, letting me finish uh, today. And the gentleman said to me, he said, don't thank me, I'm the next speaker. <laughs> and I said, so bear with me for a while. I do want to thank uh, the Canadian Club and the Empire Club for the opportunity to be here today. Um, it's always a pleasure to address this audience of innovators and entrepreneurs, uh, people who through thick and thin have contributed so much um, to our success, to the success of our country's prosperity. Um, that prosperity and success should never be taken for granted. The Canadian economy is under uh, the same pressures and challenges as the rest of the world. 
Now, in, um, in recent weeks, I have had the opportunity to work with our international partners to find ways uh, to address these challenges uh, effectively. Um, more of these meetings are approaching very soon, a meeting of the APEC finance ministers um, early next week in Peru, a meeting of G20 uh, finance ministers and central bank governors later next week in Brazil, and a summit of G20 leaders in Washington just a couple of weeks ahead of us. It's a good thing I don't have a fear of flying, and I don't. Um, before I leave for, for, for those meetings, I would like to give you a preview of what I'll be telling um, the people I'll meet about uh, Canada's prospects and how well we're overcoming our economic uh, obstacles. So today I'll discuss where we are as a nation and how we got to the place we're at today. Also, the steps our government has taken to prepare Canada for rough times. And also what that means for Canadians as they work to put food on the table, pay down their mortgage, and save for their children's future. Aujourd'hui, je vais traiter de notre situation en tant que nation et des moyens que nous avons pris pour nous tailler cette place. Je vais parler aussi des, des mesures que notre gouvernement a pris pour nous préparer à cette période difficile et ce que cela signifie pour les Canadiennes et les Canadiens qui travaillent pour nourrir leurs familles, rembourser leurs hypothèques et économiser pour l'avenir de leurs enfants. In times like these, when countries are coming together looking for answers on how to deal with an international crisis and prevent it from ever happening again, I believe Canada has much to contribute. We are definitely not alone in facing challenges. In fact, the challenges we face originate overwhelmingly from outside our borders. Still, to address them, we will need prudence, discipline, and steely-eyed focus on the things that matter to Canadians. Il est clair que nous ne sommes pas le seul pays confronté à ces difficultés. En fait, celle-ci provient essentiellement de l'étranger. Pour les régler, nous devrons faire preuve de prudence et de rigueur et cibler résolument les, les priorités des Canadiens. At the same time, um, other countries are grappling with even more uh, critical concerns. Given Canada's relative strengths, those countries would do well to consider how Canada prepared for an international situation no one had considered possible and why we will come out of this uncertainty stronger than ever. Long before this global credit crunch and gut-wrenching market volatility ever appeared on the radar screen, our government began preparing for the possibility that the stability of our financial institutions and the will of Canadian consumers and businesses would be severely tested. In the fall of 2007, a year ago, we recognized that times would get tougher. We knew we had to make sure Canadian families and businesses would have an edge in these tougher times. Measures announced in advance of the economic downturn up to and including our 2007 economic statement a year ago are providing $21 billion in incremental tax relief this year. <clears throat> now, this is equivalent to 1.4% of Canada's GDP and represents a substantial stimulus to help us deal with what was to come. Unlike the temporary measures the United States took earlier this year and which some are now calling to be um, introduced again, our tax relief was permanent, 
tax reductions Canadian families and businesses can count on year in, year out. While we were reducing the tax burden on each and every Canadian, we were also relentlessly paying down debt and passing on the interest savings to Canadians. And we invested strategically in areas critical to this country's future success, job training, science, technology, infrastructure, and through the record transfers to the provinces post-secondary education. Investments, in other words, that would be essential in dealing with and overcoming harder times ahead. By acting when fiscal prospects were brighter, we avoided a situation where we would have been compelled to take panicked and undisciplined measures when times were tougher, measures which by themselves would have resulted in a deficit. Instead, because of the choices this government made, we have the best fiscal record in the G7. By any objective measures in the eyes of the international community and in the eyes of scores of economic experts, we have put Canadian families and businesses in the best possible position to deal with today's global uncertainty. Instead of the um, rearview mirror approach now on display in other parts of the world, this government has been focused on the horizon. This extends to how we acted in advance of international financial turmoil. As just one example, our last budget, Budget 2008, provided additional powers to the Bank of Canada to provide liquidity to the market when required. In the past few months, the bank has been using those powers, powers that have allowed it to respond quickly and decisively to a global credit market at risk of grinding to a halt. Canadians may not wish to immerse themselves in subjects like statutory authorities and acceptable collateral, and I don't blame them, but they can take comfort in the fact that the government acted in advance in these areas. And we did it so that Canadian borrowers and lenders would continue to have access to credit markets for home and business mortgages, for car loans, and for other forms of credit that are essential to keeping our economy going. As most here know, in many other countries, this has not been the case. Our forward-looking approach in Canada included efforts to prevent mortgage bubbles, like the one in the United States, from happening here. In the United States, families have lost value in their homes or are tragically losing their homes completely as the system collapses. Changes, are announced, changes we announced this summer to the rules for government-guaranteed mortgages are helping to prevent this kind of damage from happening here. These improvements, most notably a maximum amortization period for new government-backed mortgages of 35 years and a minimum down payment of 5%, are in effect right now um, in Canada. These measures took a Canadian financial system and housing market that were already strong and made them stronger. Now, over the past month, we have seen a dramatic and sudden collapse of some financial institutions in the United States, deepening the global credit crisis and raising the risk that Canada's system uh, could be sideswiped. So we acted again. We announced an innovative way to encourage more longer-term credit in Canada with no additional risk to taxpayers with a plan to purchase $25 billion in insured mortgage pools by the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. This made-in-Canada approach involves purchasing high-quality assets already guaranteed by the Government of Canada so as to make loans and mortgages more available and more affordable to Canadians, all at no fiscal cost 
to Canadian taxpayers. This initiative, which is in addition to the Canada Mortgage Bond Program, is an efficient, cost-effective, safe way to provide for lending in Canada at this time of unprecedented global financial turmoil. <clears throat> and then, less than a week ago, we uh, created the Canadian Lenders Assurance Facility, which is a temporary program <clears throat> that will offer insurance on the wholesale term borrowing of federally regulated deposit-taking institutions, including, of course, our banks. In plain English, that's a backstop uh, to ensure that Canadian banks, which have weathered the global credit crunch better than their competitors, are not put at a competitive disadvantage because other countries have provided borrowing guarantees to restore or protect the stability of their own financial systems. And also, at no expected fiscal cost for Canadian taxpayers. These changes are keeping our banks competitive and strong, and they're keeping credit flowing, things that Canadian families and businesses rely on. Ces mesures permettent à nos banques de demeurer compétitives et forts, et elles maintiennent le, le flux de crédit, deux éléments sur lesquels les familles et les, les entreprises canadiennes comptent. Now, since we, um, we took office two and a half years ago, um, that is what our government has done um, to ensure long-term growth and reduce economic risk. Our government's economic plan has helped sustain that economy. Je vous ai décrit les mesures que notre gouvernement a pris depuis son entrée en fonction il y a deux et demi pour garantir la croissance à long terme et réduire les risques économiques. Le plan économique de notre gouvernement a aidé à soutenir l'économie. Today, it means Canada is in a much better position than virtually any other major country to withstand the economic and fiscal storms working their way around the globe. It has led to the IMF predicting Canada will have the best economic growth in the G7 next year. That forecast, along with the others we are seeing recently, is modest, especially compared to recent Canadian growth. But I can tell you that under, under current conditions, if you asked other countries whether they would like to trade places with us, the lineup of volunteers would be long. As for Canada's financial system, the World Economic Forum, as was mentioned, uh, recently concluded that our financial system is the soundest in the world, with financial market sophistication and investor protection among the world's best. The IMF has also judged our system to be mature, sophisticated, well-managed, and able to withstand sizable shocks. This praise reflects a stable Canadian system that is now being rewarded for its prudence and its high standards. Canadian capital requirements for financial institutions are well above minimum international standards and higher than in other jurisdictions. Even with all of the challenges we are facing, Canada remains on track to uh, balance its budget this year. Last week's fiscal monitor indicated a surplus of $1.2 billion over the first five months of the current uh, fiscal year. <clears throat> Once again, it's a, um, a Canadian track record far beyond the fiscal uh, prospects of major industrialized nations. Now, a little bit about what has changed. All of these efforts put Canada in, an, in a, um, an advantageous position today, and that's a good thing, 
since uh, what is going on around the world today is far beyond what anyone could have predicted even two months ago. In a remarkably short period of time, the collapse of financial institutions in the United States and the seizing of international credit markets have taken financial markets down sharply and have resulted in a worldwide economic slowdown. In the U.S. alone, the list of financial institutions damaged by the meltdown is a long one. <clears throat> Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, Washington Mutual, AIG, and others. All of these institutions have collapsed or required a bailout or takeover within a matter of weeks. Our American neighbor has been joined in its banking rescue efforts by countries throughout Europe. Now, without question, these are um, uncertain economic times. And after the extraordinary developments that have taken place in a matter of weeks, no one can reliably predict what will happen next. This is the new reality Canada faces today. Wild swings in financial markets, increasing attempts to keep credit flowing, and economic forecasts that have grown more pessimistic by the day. We are entering an extremely difficult period for Canadian families who are counting on their governments to get down to work and follow a sensible, realistic plan to protect their earnings, their savings, and their jobs. In this new reality, that is exactly what this government will do. Nous amorçons une période extrêmement difficile pour les familles canadiennes qui comptent sur leur gouvernement pour s'accater à s'attacher et adopter un plan qui soit judicieux et réaliste afin de protéger leurs salaires, leurs économies et leurs emplois. Dans ce nouveau contexte, voilà exactement ce que notre gouvernement fera. Now, while Canada may be doing better than most, we must still prepare ourselves for the challenging times we face now and in the period ahead. That means using our strong starting position to our advantage. Our balanced budgets have already allowed us to do the things needed <clears throat> to keep our economy strong. For example, healthy funding for health care, post-secondary education infrastructure, investments in science and technology, as well as training people for a brighter future, tax reductions for all Canadians, and efforts to create the investment climate that will lead to more jobs and greater prosperity. We've focused on all of these early on because we realize that while surpluses themselves are important, what's more important is what those surpluses make possible, better lives for Canadians. Dans le début, nous avons centré nos efforts dans ces domaines parce que nous réalisons que même s'il est important de dégager des excédents, il importe encore plus que ces excédents assurent une vie meilleure aux Canadiens. Ongoing, unsustainable budget deficits are quite rightly unacceptable for Canadians. These structural deficits must never return. Yet also unacceptable is a devotion to surpluses simply for the sake of saying you've achieved them. That view refuses to take into account the long-term damage that can result from misguided attempts to balance the books during an historic global downturn. No one should ever expect us to be complacent about the risk of a deficit. We will do what we can, despite challenging economic circumstances, to keep the budget balanced. 
However, as Canada, like other countries, enters a new and unknown economic cycle, we recognize that we work for Canadians, not fiscal forecasters. What we will never do is engineer a surplus at any price because that price would ultimately be paid by Canadian families. What we will do in this fiscal year and the years that follow is continue to manage spending responsibly. We will not spend now to tax our children and grandchildren later. For nearly three years, we have focused on this responsible approach. Our focus is to keep spending in check, to practice restraint, and look at every dollar we spend with a critical eye. This uh, approach includes a renewed expenditure management system, a review of every cent of spending by government departments over a four-year cycle. In the first year of the system, we examined departmental spending of $13.6 billion, which is worth 15% of total program spending. That restraint exercise will continue, and we will redouble our efforts for the year ahead to ensure the spending of taxpayer dollars is efficient and as effective as possible. Grants, contributions, capital, wages, other operating expenses, all will be placed under the microscope of uh, responsible spending. Departments will have what they need to fund essential programs and services, and no more. While being more rigorous in spending by departments, we will extend that review to crown corporations and other key corporate assets. By doing so, we will ensure that the original purpose for setting up each corporate entity is still relevant in today's world and that dollars are being spent wisely. This um, commitment to responsible fiscal management will also extend to public sector compensation. Now, we all recognize that uh, public sector employees work hard for Canadians and that they must be adequately compensated. It is in the public interest that public sector compensation be determined responsibly in a manner that does not add pressure on businesses that are already feeling the pinch of an economic slowdown. We are confident that every stakeholder involved in the process of setting public sector compensation will show commitment and accountability to act in the public interest and strike the proper balance. We will be guided by these considerations as we prepare the fall economic and fiscal update. <clears throat> now, in overseeing federal spending, we will also be mindful of the steps this government has taken to restore fiscal balance through long-term fair and predictable transfers to provinces and territories. Under our government, transfers for health and social programs have grown, and they will continue to grow. Federal support for provinces and territories has reached uh, unprecedented levels almost $54 billion in federal support this year alone. That funding helps um, ensure that provincial governments can provide health care, education, and other essential social services, critical government services that your families can count on. <clears throat> we will be diligent in protecting this transfer growth. We will not abandon the commitment we have made to provinces and territories, and by extension to Canadian families. Nous prendrons soin de protéger cette croissance des transferts et nous n'abandonnerons pas l'engagement que nous avons pris envers les provinces et les territoires et par le fait même envers les familles canadiennes. 
As part of our fiscal balance commitment, we renewed and strengthened equalization with a principle-based approach and long-term equitable and growing funding. We will continue to ensure growing support for the provinces that need it. The equalization program does have to adapt to developments that nobody could have foreseen. In particular, the enormous volatility of resource prices, which is putting pressure on equalization. Equalization remains an essential component of the Canadian Federation, but it has to be affordable and fair. Equalization has grown by 56% since 2003-2004. Clearly, in this time of fiscal uncertainty, we cannot sustain that rate of growth. As part of our commitment to responsible fiscal management and in the spirit of fiscal balance, we will ensure the program continues to grow. But growth must be closer to the growth of the economy to be sustainable. Without change, equalization is not sustainable and threatens the integrity of the program. In these um, <clears throat> challenging times, it is... Um, more imperative that, than ever that governments work together to further strengthen the Canadian economy. The time is right to put an end to interprovincial trade barriers that unnecessarily restrain our economy right here at home in Canada. And given the unprecedented turmoil in international financial markets, it is also a good time to move toward a single securities regulator that reflects regional interests, yet can quickly respond with a single voice to market developments. In this period difficult, it is more essential than ever that the government collaborate to reinforce the Canadian economy. The moment is choisi to abolish the obstacles to commerce interprovincial that freine inutilement our economy, here même au pays. Aussi, compte tenu des turbulences sans précédent euh, que connaissent les marchés financiers internationaux, l'heure est également favorable pour aller de l'avant avec un orgasme commun de réglementation des valeurs mobilières qui tient compte des intérêts régionaux, mais qui peut aussi réagir rapidement et d'une voix unifiée à l'évolution des, des marchés. Now, as part of our efforts to ensure all governments work together in the interests of all Canadians, uh, this government, the federal government, is organizing meetings of the federal, provincial, territorial finance ministers and first ministers in advance of the G20 events. These meetings will lay the groundwork for what we hope to achieve in the international summits, as well as build on the spirit of cooperation that will be crucial to responding to the economic challenges every government in Canada is facing. As Canadians have managed to do throughout our country's history, we will get through this turmoil together. And we will come out of it in a very competitive position. We certainly have our work cut out for us. We're prepared well for this uh, approaching storm. But endure it we must, and endure it we will. Within the next month, after consulting uh, my federal and provincial counterparts and my international colleagues, I will set out the economic and fiscal projections we will rely on as we prepare the next budget. Given the sudden onset and imposing depth of this crisis, forecasting its effects on the Canadian economy will be daunting. Managing its effects will be even harder. 
But what I can assure you is that our responsible, disciplined, and forward-looking strategy will not waver. We will continue to work alongside the provinces, sharing our assessment of international and domestic conditions, explaining what we intend to do, and asking for their cooperation to ensure future economic growth. Nous allons continuer de travailler côte à côte avec les provinces en partageant notre évaluation de la conjoncture internationale et canadienne, en précisant nos intentions et en demandant leur collaboration pour garantir notre croissance économique future. We will keep taxes low to benefit Canadians. We will keep investing in Canadian priorities. We will do whatever is necessary to prevent, to, uh, hmm, let's start that again. We will do whatever is necessary to prevent the soundest financial system in the world from being put at risk by global events. And we will budget prudently and with restraint, uh, consulting with Canadians every step of the way. Now, I've, um, I've gone on almost as long as it seems. Um, it's good to see that uh, most of you are still in the room. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> my friends, none of this is going to be easy, and our approach will include some tough uh, measures. Good times are bad. Hard choices are just part of the job description. Aucun de ces objectifs n'est une facile, et notre approche comprendra des mesures difficiles. En période favorable ou non, il y a toujours des choix ardus à faire, mais cela fait partie de la tâche. So too is understanding what matters most as we steer our nation's finances through the turbulent waters ahead. It's not lines on a spreadsheet or calculations on a fiscal projection. Surpluses, as integral a part of the planning processes as they may be, are not an end in themselves and they never will be. What matters most is people. Our ultimate goal is to ensure we spend wisely on the things that will bring a direct and lasting benefit to Canadians. If we keep our sights on protecting jobs, enabling Canadians to save and businesses to grow and thrive, and creating a better future for our children, we will take our healthy head start and emerge from this difficult economic cycle stronger than ever and better off than the countries that compete with us every day. I can tell you now that in the global discussions I will soon attend in between airport lounges, my colleagues will do what they always have. They will marvel at what Canada has accomplished and predict that there will be more success to come. A stronger Canadian economy is our goal. The well-being of Canadian families throughout 2009 and all the years that follow is how we'll know we have reached it. Thank you for your attention today. My name is Helen Burston, and as the President of the Canadian Club of Toronto, I have the honour of thanking our special guest, the Honourable Jim Flaherty, Minister of Finance. 
Eight months ago, when the minister last spoke with us in his post-budget address, he stressed the need to maintain the federal budget in surplus territory. Well, that was then, and this is now. We were told to anticipate an economic slowdown, but who could have foreseen a global economic meltdown? Who could have predicted the collapse of financial markets, the evaporation of consumer confidence, and the wild gyration of stock markets? In speaking with us today, Minister Flaherty has been realistic about the challenges facing Canada amid this global economic upheaval. One of the fathers of conservative thought, Edmund Burke, once said that a state without the means of some change is without the means of its conservation. Minister Flaherty has maintained the mantra of fiscal prudence that is important for Canada, but he's also indicated a readiness to adapt to new realities. Thank you, Mr. Flaherty, for your frank appraisal of Canada's economic picture, and thank you for your confidence in the underlying strength of our economy. We're in for a wild ride, but we're fortunate to have good regulation, good economic fundamentals, and good government on our side. Thank you. Every year, the uh, Empire Club of Canada Foundation publishes a book of uh, that year's speeches. We would like you to accept a copy of this, knowing that you will be in this year's volume. Uh, tomorrow, we are uh, co-hosting uh, with the Canadian Club, uh, Matthew Teitelbaum, Director and CEO of the Art Gallery of Ontario. And on Monday, uh, F.W. de Klerk, former President of South Africa and Chairman of the Global Leadership Foundation, joins us for lunch. A few seats remain for both events, so please see the desk outside if you are interested. And please consider becoming a member of the Empire Club. There are membership applications at your table and at the reception desk outside. At $50 annually, it gives you membership discounts and benefits and remains one of the most affordable intellectual treats out there. Our luncheon today is being broadcast on Rogers TV. The luncheon meetings are also rebroadcast across Canada on CPAC, and you can view a webcast of today's luncheon on our website at empireclub.org. Thank you for being with us today, and please join us for lunch again. This meeting is adjourned.